Welcome to Interculture Podcast. Hello, welcome again. This is Jenna. This is Ibrahim. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm not doing very good, actually. Sorry. Uh, you know the news? There's been like two massive earthquakes happened in Turkey. Yes. Ten cities affected by that huge catastrophe. Government declared like a duty for national disaster. But uh, the good thing is almost like every single country is sending helps and aid in Turkey. Yeah, I heard uh, Greece and Sweden are... Yeah, even Australia, Israel. Search and rescue is still in, in process. So our thoughts and prayers are with, with those people. They're definitely in my thoughts. And we've been fortunate enough to not know anyone personally affected by that. But people in our circle have relatives and friends that yeah exactly um, that have been and they're still waiting to hear back and it's a really like scary upsetting time right now um but maybe we can leave a a link for donation within our show notes if mm-hmm. people feel they want to help hundreds of buildings collapse it was thousands of <laughs> thousands yeah. yeah it was a really devastating earthquake so we're thinking of everyone there and hoping for the best. I don't think I have any other news, honestly. <laughs> I was trying to think of... Yeah, me neither. Yeah, so... What is today about? So we have a guest today, and he's here to talk to us about his experiences, which I think are going to be really relevant to some of our listeners. He speaks about having to immigrate to a new country, starting from the bottom, learning a new language even as an adult and also learning to adapt and to be self-reliant coming from a very uh, modest background having to persevere without a lot of guidance i think it's going to be a mind opener for our listeners yeah and i found his story really inspirational and i think others will too just hearing about being able to accomplish a lot post-World War II and having nothing to being chief of surgery at two major hospitals in the United States. And so he wrote a book, it's coming out next month, called The American Doctor. And I am really excited to hear more about his journey. And I think our listeners will be too. So without further ado, let's roll the interview. Here he comes. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us today. We have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Salvatore Porcina. He is joining us from Florida, I believe. Is that right? No, I live in Florida, but I'm staying in New Jersey with uh, with my daughter right now. Oh, oh cool. North nice. of New Jersey, yeah, close to New York. Oh, excellent. Nice. All right. Um, Dr. Porcina, he was born in Italy during World War II. Mm-hmm. And immigrated to Argentina at a very young age and ended up living with a order of priests in Argentina for a while. I spent seven years in the private school, boarding school in Buenos Aires. You went to medical school in Argentina as well and graduated, eventually came over to the U.S. and became chief of surgery at two major hospitals here. Yes, but it's a little bit... uh, I had to clarify, 
after I graduated from medical school in Argentina, I went to Italy because I want to specialize. But I what see. happened was that they arrived in Argentina in, the, in Italy in March 1st, and already university was going to close in, in May. So they told me I had to take four exams to be recognized, and then I had to wait until September. So what happened in the town where I used to live, uh, Scauri, is between Rome and Naples, and there's a beautiful beach there, a lot of tourists come there. and. Uh, some member of this family of mine, we met there and they suggested for me to come to United States. I see. Okay. So I came to United States. MD was not recognized. You had to pass first an exam for a foreign graduate. And after you pass, it's a very difficult exam for me. After you pass that exam, you are entitled to apply to a hospital for a specialty to training, to do internship and residence program. I did that for five years, and that's how I got my specialty. I did general surgery, I did trauma, and I did vascular. But in the last um, 15 years, I did mostly advanced laparoscopy. Laparoscopy is uh, doing surgery, sophisticated surgery, through small tiny holes, and looking at the video and monitor. and. Um, Require a lot of skill, coordination, and I uh, was very good at it. How many years did you practice, like in total? In total, between the residents and the private practice, almost 40 years. Okay, wow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seems like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So now you have a forthcoming book about yes. your, your life. What prompted you to want to write about your experience? Well, what happened was that the, uh, when we were young with my wife and we just started the practice, we used to go once in a while to parties, invited to different houses, meet different people, uh, you meet teacher, you meet instructor, you meet politician. So, and you start to talk. And uh, usually the conversation went in this way. I noticed an accent. Where do you come to that fortuna? They start to ask, and I talk about the, I like very much history, classic, whatever. And then, um, and some people knew something about my past, how I came, how I achieved a certain goal. And then, mm -hmm. um, and they were uh, surprised and they say, you know, uh, you should write about this you know, because this is something unusual. And of course, uh, you know, there was no my field. But as the time passed by and more than one person told me about this, to write about it, maybe you can open somebody else's eyes or whatever, encourage somebody. And I started to think about that. And eventually what, they, uh, what happened was that when my granddaughter, Lennon, was born, she's now seven years old, and you start to think about, you know, I'm not going to be, I, I will be 82 in two months. I'm not going to be here forever. I would like to leave my thought to a little bit of my history of my life to my granddaughter, because maybe when she's a teenager and she have going through difficult time or whatever, maybe she one night or whatever, she, for curiosity, start to read some pages here. I say, wow, my grand grandpa, 
came from nowhere and left <laughs> his family, uh, went through this. Uh, he accomplished something in life. So maybe I can do the same thing. So that was the thought behind that. You touched on a really good point coming from a different country and then accomplishing something really big. Well, you know what happened? First of all, to leave somebody country is not mm-hmm. easy easy way to do because you know what happened? You had your roots, you had your customs, you had your history, you had your family, language, and so on and so on and so on. So when you had to migrate to go to another place, first of all, you don't know where you're going to end up. Yes. yes. And everything is different. When you are in your own territory, you are familiar, you grew up there, you feel comfortable. Now, at a certain age, you move, you go to another country. There is a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. When I came to this country, I didn't speak English. So imagine I was 28 years old. And you know what? The worst thing was I had to take those exams and I never saw multiple choice in my life. So the reasoning behind that, for somebody that grew up with the multiple choices, is different than for somebody eight, 28 years old, start for nothing. So you have to imagine the frustration, the dark moment that I went through. And the worst thing, you know what the worst thing was? That I didn't have a guide. I didn't have nobody to open my eyes. I was like a guy going through a tunnel uh, that I saw a dim light at the end, and you hurry to go through, the, reach the light. And when I reached the light, there was a sign that say dead end. So imagine your frustration. You had to go back and start all over again. So it was not simple to come to America. It's not exactly. they put a red carpet for me. No, yeah, exactly. Not at all. Yeah, I didn't think about feeling like you're starting over again with the new language. It's a new barrier. It's a, because I remember when I came to this country and uh, I was there with my family in Palm Parkway in New York and there was a big hospital close by Einstein. And I went to talk to one of the doctors there. They told me there was an Argentinian doctor, radiologist, I think. And I went to talk to him because I was very down. I didn't have nobody. So I went to talk to him. And he said, we were speaking Spanish. And so he told me, he said, well, you know, if you apply yourself and you work very hard, you are going to succeed in this country. Nobody's going to shut the door for you. However, it's going to take you at least another 10 years. And he was right because, you know, I had to pass those exams. I had to specialize. And after you specialize, after five years, you apply to the hospital and nobody know you. You have to build up your reputation. And then in the beginning, you are at the bottom and you have to be around when somebody needs help or whatever. And that's the way you build up. It took like more 10 years. Yeah. Like I say, nothing is easy in life. Yeah, that's for sure. So how did you end up learning English to that level required? at 28 years old. Well, I went to New York University. I borrowed money for my family. And I went for several months to New York University to to study English. And so, you know, it was no easy. I, worked, I, I listened to the television. I said, 
Because, you know, the irony, when I was in high school, we studied English, but I studied just to pass the grade. I was so naive, I should have thought about learning English because it's something, language is a very important thing for, the, for anybody, an additional language. But at that time, I, don't, I didn't have the vision to do that. I regret that because if I have learned English, I would have been ahead of the game. Well, I, I'm just very impressed by <laughs> all that work you did, especially, like you said, not having a guide at that time. Yeah, yeah. I know how much of a difference that could make. So Sure, sure. To open your eyes. Yeah. What helped you um, stay motivated in those times? Well, my father was in World War II. He was a Marine, the Italian Army, a Navy, and they suffered a lot. We live in between Rome and Naples, close to Monte Cassino. Monte Cassino was the area, was completely bombarded, there was mine, people, it was the end of the world, it was, a, it was something terrible. I was eight years old when we were in Argentina in 1948, and at night when we were eating outside, my father used to tell me about when he was used, his youth in Italy, the thing they had to go through. He unfortunately, because the family was very poor, they could not go to school. He just went to second, third grade, but he read all his life and he wanted for me to study. He installed in me the curiosity for life. I learned uh, with the example that I saw my parents, how they struggled, because you see life in Argentina at that time was not easy. I don't know how it's today, but it was not very easy for an immigrant. I didn't speak the language, I didn't have any friends. And my mother, once in a while, used to come in the street, they used to say, Sir, have you seen the mailman? The mailman, once in a while, came, and she was anxious to get the letter from her sister-in-law. Because what happened, the rest of the family, you know, they had their own problems. And so, um, occasionally, when that letter came, my poor mother has such a relief. I used to read a letter and reread. It's like she just want to find something that, they, like a squeezing the juice for an orange or something like that. <laughs> so that picture, something like that. Looking back, you know, we are talking about an area where we didn't have phone. There was no TV. We didn't have radio. We didn't have nothing. You are you. We were at the end of the world in 1948. A lot of psychological thing. So when I saw all that and I put everything together and I saw the sacrifice that my parents did for me, I, I couldn't have been different. I couldn't be indifferent. So that, that's what motivated me. And of course, nothing was smooth. I felt many times when you fell down, it's like a child learning to walk. You fell down, you cry, you get up and keep trying again until you eventually you're able to walk and that's gonna be my life wow I, i'm feeling very motivated right now that's a, <laughs> thank you especially hearing about your parents too like that must have been so hard but yeah. i admire them for that i have many problems but i was lucky to have the right parents it's like they say you have to be smart in life you have to choose the right parents <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm glad you did. You chose well. 
<laughs> it's a joke. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about more about um, Argentina. You were seven or eight? eight? Eight years old, yeah. So when we went to Argentina, my parents, uh, my father was a worker and they work in the ceramic and they're making tile, cer- uh, the ceramic, all the thing. And so what happened, we were renting a house in the outskirts of the city. There was no asphalt. You know? And so eventually, little by little, we start to build our own house. And then the book is described that the thing that we had to go through. And I remember when I used to go to school, um, you know, uh, I had to walk maybe around five kilometers, something like that, to go to school. The problem was when the, it was raining, everything was flooded. The sidewalk, there was no tile, there was no cement, there was nothing, just mud. And so you are walking in the mud and your shoes, there were not the special shoes, the insulation, the, no. So you end up going to school, spending the entire day with the wet shoes. I remember a certain picture. We, we used to, with the other kids, we used to play in the uh, soccer in the street. The street, there was no asphalt. There was all dust. And so what happened, we used to make a ball with a sock, and then we put the cloth inside, and we keep that ball until that ball become like a sausage. <laughs> you know, I left to, to be with a priest. And not too far away from where my parents live, there was a church there. And one day the missionary came and, um, and I, was, I was a child. I was uh, maybe 10 years old, whatever. And I started to talk to them and they showed me the school. They have a horse. They were kicking the ball. They have soccer. So, and they say, would you like to try? I said, so I went to my father, of course, my father, the idea that I will go to a place and maybe I, I become a student and start to study, of course, was good for him. So I went to the school without realizing that, they, you know, they, they didn't tell me that I had to pray and they had to study very hard. The first year was very difficult for me. But eventually, gradually, I start to see, understand, and gradually start to study. Since 11 years old, I left my parents. I saw my parents once a year. It was a boarding school. Mm-hmm. I saw my parents That's once a year. So, so psychologically, you can imagine the trauma that I had to go through. Yeah. And yeah. the priests, they, they were German priests. They were very, very harsh, very disciplined. The discipline was very rigid, rigid. So that's the environment. I was there for seven years. So. You had to struggle. You try to climb the mountain with a barefoot and with your hands, and it's hard. It's hard, uh, but still, you had the desire, inner desire, to move up. I had to do. It. I had to do it. The only thing you are not sure you're going to do it because you're a human being, and we're a human being with a fault. What made you interested in studying medicine? Well, I finished high school. Uh, my friends, I was the son of the immigrant in Argentina. The son of the immigrant, you are nobody. You talk about prejudice or no prejudice. Prejudice existed from day number one 
and it's going to cease forever in different degrees, okay? So what happened, my friends with whom I went to school, they were the son or the doctor, the lawyers, estanciero, estanciero, uh, people that own a lot of land with cows, sheep, and goats, you know? And so the other people well off, well known. Nobody knew me to have a title over there at that time, being a professional is something they give you prestige. And so my father asked me, what are you going to do now? I said, I would like to go to medical school. I said, you want to study? We're going to help the best we can. So I went to medical school. It was no easy medical school for me. I had to study without books. My parents could not afford books for me. Now my friends, they were coming from family that were well off. On Friday afternoon, they used to leave and you go to Buenos Aires, University of La Plata, it's close to Buenos Aires, La Plata, and they have a good time. And they used to come maybe Monday around one or two o'clock in the morning. Meantime, what I did the weekend, while they were having a good time, I borrowed their book and I studied. And during the weeks when I could, I used to go to the library and rent, borrow. Uh, books for one or two days, but those books, they were like a papyrus. They were, uh, the pages of all destroyed, stained, they were torn, they were missing. But you know, because I, I struggled all my life, at that time it seemed to me, I tried to understand that I had to pay the price if I want to succeed. And then after all that, you couldn't even... <laughs> Get your test in Italy and everything, so. Yeah, no, I had to start all over again. I came to this country, United States, and I had to, like I explained to you before, I had to start all over again. And, um, Celebi? <laughs> Did you feel like you adapted well being in this country? I mean, you, you already had to do that once to Argentina, so yeah. maybe you had a, a foundation of that. Well, it was different because different in the sense when I came to this country, I, see, I saw the opportunity that this country can offer me. Of course, they didn't put the red carpet for me. I knew right. that. But at least they left the door open that when I learned that if I work very hard and I, it's not going to be easy, I, I'm going to struggle. But eventually, working hard, I, I reached the top of the mountain. We able to see the panorama, a big viewer than the I have when I was at the battle. So that's why I work very hard. In the beginning, when I had to take those exams and I had to wait for the results, took several months to get the result. Meantime, I remember I was passing, going to New York University, I was passing by a nursing home. And I said, because I was living with my uncle and aunt at that time, I was dependent from them. And I felt guilty. I felt guilty because uh, at my age, I still depended on uh, my poor uncle and aunt. They did the best that they could for me. I went and I got an application to work there temporarily. And I was so happy I was, that I was going to get a job early, helping the people serving food or whatever. Okay? And I was so anxious, so I wait, and eventually after uh, one week, whatever, several days, I went back 
And I was convinced I was going to get a job. And you know what? The experience of my life was that the, the shock of my life was that the, they say I was rejected. I said, why? Why I was rejected? Well, I was rejected because I was overqualified. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so just to give it the idea how my poor knowledge about <laughs> life, you know, Wow. Yeah. I, I just remembered, um, I looked at your Instagram and I saw your father-in-law was like a former uh, patient of yours. Yes. What happened, very interesting story here. <laughs> what happened was I was um, doing my fourth year residence program in the hospital and I was doing surgery. And uh, after I finished, I was a resident. Uh, after I finished, there was a note there that I had to go to a floor, particular floor, to see this patient. Happened that my future father-in-law, Clemente Petrillo was his name. He was the dean of the uh, Philadelphia Performance Art University. So I went there and he happened to have, I had major surgery and ended up with complications. So as a consequence, he was not able to eat. And I remember that day I went in, he was sitting in the chair close to the bed. He was big eyes, scared, pale. And then um, the hand were all swollen because they put the intravenous black and blue. So I started to talk with him and he was a, he spoke Italian. He was a, a Lieutenant Colonel in the American army during the World War II in Italy. And he was a concertist classic concertist. Andre Watts was his student. And so we start to speak Italian with a, and I like classic concerto, operas, all that. Yeah. And we start to talk and talk and talk. And so reach a moment that he was so relaxed that he said, okay, Nata, are you going to start the IV now? Without realizing, I guess, lack of God or whatever. Okay? I started the IV, he didn't even feel. It's not because I was an expert, no. Because just, I guess, the destiny, whatever, okay? <laughs> From that day on, we became very close and eventually met the daughter. And eventually, one day when he got better, went home, one day he called me and he was a very influential person in there in Philadelphia. So he was invited to a special concert in a private home. And he uh, called me, he said he was not up to, uh, but he asked me if I didn't mind to go with the daughter to this, this concert to represent them, my, my, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. So we did that. And of course, me, I was no use to this. It's like you go to a palace or whatever, where they, to me it was for a different world. And so that's the way I started. And then... Um, and eventually start to date the daughter and eventually we got married. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, a great way to start out already being friends with uh, her dad. Um. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you know what happened, really, uh, her mom, my wife, ma'am, very intelligent. She spoke five, six languages. Very. Uh, so we have very thin in common. Eventually. Uh, eventually she told me that that she had put her eye on me and she wanted to 
uh, you know, she, she she orchestrated everything for the daughter to, you know. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> human nature, you know. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something uh, mom would do. <laughs> yeah. So you decided to um, write your book. Did you? Do you feel like you gained any new perspective? Like writing out your entire story, do you feel like you learned from that? Yeah. First of all, it brought back a lot of memories. Memor- good memories, bad memories. Certain episode with my mother, after I got married, I was practicing surgery, whatever. I used to go to Italy almost every year with my family or by myself. Uh, and uh, many times when my poor mother, they were anxious waiting for me, you know, the son. And so, and my mother was a simple woman, but very good heart. And I remember the, the one of the first time I went there, you know, and she was, I noticed she was anxious. And so eventually one day I hugged her and she started to cry. I said, mom, I said, so she like, it was, she was choking. He says, sir, you had to do me a favor. You had to see a friend of mine. Why? What's the matter? Well, she went to different doctors and she even for you to explain what is going on. So anyhow, I was saying, okay, of course. Of course, I'm a surgeon, but you know what happened? Every time I saw somebody, it was a different discipline. But I tried to, the best I could, to explain to them. So when I say, okay, so right away she went to the telephone, called the lady, so oh, Sal is going to see you and this and that. So this poor lady came, brought the exam, the x-ray, whatever, I explained to her, whatever, okay? And she's so happy. And my mother was like a, a different woman because for her, the son, a son is a doctor coming from the United States, was... Like hitting the lottery, you know, it was. Uh, she was very proud of you. Yes, yeah, something to for a poor lady, for her soul. That that's the best satisfaction I could give it to her. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure she was very proud of that. My mom would want that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have. I remember. I remember uh, certain moments for it. Uh, the emotional moment with my mother. My mother when she used to take me in the side. I say, "Sir, uh, you had time." Yeah, mom. Sure. Let's sit down. Let's let's talk. Let's talk. She wants to know about my daughter, my uh, daughter, my wife, and. So it's amazing the distance between Paris and me. I was since eleven years old. I have been occasionally we saw each other, but still I have a bond with with my mother, mostly with my father too, but mostly my mother. And so I remember we used to talk and we used to remembering the thing, the suffering in Argentina, how they they saw me struggling. But they believe in me all the time. And so I remember as the day passed and the day that I had to return to the United States was coming close, my poor mother' behavior and attitude start to, you know, she started to be sad, introverted, 
And, and when the day before came, I remember I used to say, man, what's the matter? Uh, son, you had to go to your family, you are going to leave us. When she cried, she cried with such a passion that the tear were like a drop, uh, like a, uh, grapes. So the tear <laughs> was so big. So, so those are the emotional things that they really shook me up. And uh, so, like I say, you know, I, I had to str struggle a lot. I'm sure a lot of other people had done the same thing, but I was fortunate enough that I had love of my parents and, I, and that's it. That's a plus. That's a plus to have somebody that trusts you, believe in you. Yes, it's the best thing. Yes. I, I, I could not be indifferent. I could not have been indifferent. The foundation of having loving parents that believe in you. Yeah, yeah. Everything. And today, today it's very important to have it for the young kids or whatever, to have the guidance, to have the parents. You know, in our society is... No, everybody's so lucky to have two parents, you know? Yes. I guess wrapping up, I want to ask you um, if you have some words that you want to say to people who have a big dream, like maybe in another country or are facing those obstacles. Like I said, I'm not an expert in this, but the thing is that we are born naked. And as we grow up, we start to learn and we get the experience the thing the important thing is that you have to have motivation you have to have something from inside that they say i don't want the status quo i don't want this type of life for the rest of my life just to be nobody if you believe that you want to be somebody it's not going to be easy you have to work hard it's going to, you know, it's like when you climb the Himalaya, how many people are there? They are in line trying to go up. But only a few people reach the top. But when you reach the top, you can put a flag there and say, I made it. But it's not going to be easy. But you have to believe yourself. You have to believe yourself. You say, no matter what, I have many moments in my life in which I was ready to quit. They were very sad moment. I was alone. I was depressed. But I, like I say, the guide, it's very important to have somebody there, difficult moment. If somebody can give you a word, somebody can hug you or hold your hand or maybe have a drink together, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had none, none of that. I didn't have none of that. But still, I managed, and I'm very proud of that. So the conclusion is that for somebody that really believes in something, you have to work very hard. And no matter what, it's going to take time, but you're going to reach there. You're going to reach there. I look back when I was in Argentina, what hope there was for me? There was no hope for nothing. But because my poor father put a seed on me, and that's it, you know, it's at the mercy of the wind. The seed can end up in the top of the rocks, the middle of the desert, or whatever. For some reason, the seed end up in some place and put a little root there, and gradually, without too much support or too much 
water or whatever, and manage to put the root there, have a flower, and produce a fruit. Well, I'm very glad it did. I, I love your inspirational <laughs> words. Thank you. So your book is coming out um, March 14th, correct? Yeah, March 14th. People can follow me on Instagram, that the for Salvatore Forcina MD. Book is the American Doctor. It's available pre-order on Amazon. All what I written in the book is come from my heart. I think it's something different because it came from experience. And I'm glad it took me a long time to do this. I'm glad I, I did it because I think even if I help one person, just one person, is a plus in this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I look forward to reading it. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on our show. We really appreciate thank you. So much you. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. This is a, you know, it's like an extended family for me. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you again. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> We hope you guys really enjoyed that interview. As always, thank you for listening. Write to us, follow us. And if you would leave a rating, that would help us too. We'd love to have your opinion about this. If you have any experiences that on, on your side that you want to talk about as an immigrant, let us know. Be back next week. Email us at interculturepodcast at gmail.com or follow us on social media at interculturepod.